I don't know about you, but as an adult, um, I sometimes find it hard to deal with my feelings, right? So when I got married, uh, and my wife would say, let's talk. And my response was, about what? Which then all of a sudden, the response from her was, well, if I have to tell you, it must not be important. Right? So I just grew up in a household uh, that feelings just really weren't dealt with. You know, the feelings were just kind of what you had, but you didn't really share those. And so uh, as I journeyed through life, and oftentimes people may see me who haven't seen me for a while, and maybe I looked a little depressed, or maybe uh, there was, you know, just a look on my face that, hey, things don't seem to be going too well. And people would say, hey, hey, Greg, uh, how are you doing? And I would say, fine. Isn't it amazing even in churches, people come through our doors every week and people walk up to each one another and they say, hey, how are you doing today? Fine, fine, fine. We're always fine. Have you ever noticed uh, you may have a friend or a a spouse or um, a co-worker that no matter what's going on in their life and you know that something's going on and you ask them, say, how are you doing today? They simply respond with, I am fine. Why do we do that? Why is it that we are unwilling to face up to the things that are happening inside of us that are creating some emotional turmoil? Would it not be better for us if we dealt with those things? Would it not be to our advantage if we really wrestled with the things that keep our minds preoccupied and our emotions churning inside of us that has the result of migraine headaches and anxiety attacks and all of these things that are the outpouring of emotional turmoil. Wouldn't it be better if we would say, you know what, I'm not fine. Uh, In fact, there's a lot of things going on in my life, and, and I'd really like to share some of that with you. I know that this morning, just by looking at you from all outward appearances, uh, most of you bathed today, and we appreciate that. And you probably spent an enormous amount of time and money and effort on getting yourself ready to come here today. Uh, if you went into your bathroom, the average bathroom, there's all kinds of shampoos and lotions and uh, deodorants and aftershaves, and the list just goes on and on and on. And we spent a lot of time as human beings on our physical hygiene, right? And, and rightfully so. And we have learned that over the years, as we take care of our physical hygiene, it results in, um, you know, longer lifespans. It results in a decrease in diseases. We know that when we exercise our bodies and we eat properly, that our our bodies are more uh, physically able to be prepared for the events of the day and you don't have so many medical issues So we all understand the concept of physical hygiene, of taking care of ourselves in order that our lives can be the best that they can be, right? So it's not necessarily about the length of your life so much as the quality of your life. So we want as as much quality as we possibly can have so we take every effort necessary. We spend whatever amount of money we have to spend in order to keep ourselves physically in shape and physically fit. My question for you this morning is this. What would change in our lives if we spent as much time on our emotional health as we did on our physical bodies? 
or our personal hygiene? How would that greatly benefit our lives if we really dealt with what's going on inside of us and not just what we look like on the outside? Because whenever I come into a building, you look at the external me. Uh, you see that I, I have showered and I have put on clothes and, uh, and you're really grateful for that. And, and so, but if you were to ask me, hey, Greg, how are you doing? Fine. Fine's my standard answer. Even though internally, there might, I might be a train wreck. And whatever's happening on the inside works its way out through your life in multiple different ways. So most of us never consider the toll that our, our, our emotional lives take upon even our physical bodies. The medical field and industry will say to you that the leading cause of heart disease is stress. You know what stress is all about? It's about emotional turmoil. That there are all kinds of physical diseases that are directly attached to the emotions that go on inside of us week in and week out. Now, every single one of us uh, live in a world where there is a lot of opportunity for a lot of emotional stress and a lot of emotional mess. Do we not? Uh, am I the only one? Okay, so uh, help me out here. I don't want to be standing here by myself. So the longer you allow those things, here's what I discovered. The longer you allow those things to exist, the worse they become. They don't get better on their own. Time does not heal anything. Burying toxic emotions just simply leaks itself into your entire system because God created you spirit, soul, and body, and you are so interconnected, what goes on inside of me emotionally comes out in a lot of different ways. For example, when you know, I first got married, my, my wife and I had been very open to this church about our first 10 years of marriage. They were a wreck. And a part of the reason why it was a wreck is because, A, we, neither one of us could communicate well, and B, I was still struggling with and dealing with a lot of anger issues in my emotional life. And when those anger issues come out, they come out in all kinds of different ways. They can come out in sarcastic remarks. Uh, they can come out in fits of rage. They can come out in a lot of different ways that are destructive to a relationship. And so it is very important for us to understand that we are emotional beings. And one of the reasons why, in the title of this series, why we suffer with such emotional turmoil is because we have what I want to call shattered dreams. We had dreams growing up of what our families would be like, only for them to be shattered. We grew up getting married and thought, you know, my, this is what marriage is going to be like, and this is going to be the ideal marriage, and we're going to have it, and we're going to live happily ever after, only to find out five years down the road or, or less, you're in a divorce, or there is an affair that's taken place, or there's something else that has happened, and so our dreams get shattered, and we are, we are in an upheaval emotionally, and we're not even sure what to do with all those feelings that we're trying to deal with and grapple with. So I want us to look at some potential emotional pits that you started out in in life. In other words, you started behind the eight ball. Before you even started dating, you probably had a lot of emotional turmoil going on inside of you that was totally outside of your control. Things happened in your life 
that brought this about. And we're going to look at a young man whose name is Joseph in the Old Testament who uh, experienced some hatred within his family by his brothers. And eventually they take him to a a big old cistern, which is like a a, a well, and it's dry, and they throw him down in there, and and they're going to leave him there to die. In fact, they wanted to kill him to begin with. They throw him down inside there, and then finally they see a caravan. It's coming across, and it's heading to Egypt, and so they sell him to the caravan. And then they take his his tunic, his his clothes, uh, or his coat, and, and dip it in blood of a, of, of a goat that they massacre, take it back to the father and say, hey, your son, your favorite son, Joseph, just got devoured by some wild animal. He's dead. How would you like that as a start for your life, being Joseph? So let's pick up his story back in Genesis chapter 37, because there's a, a sequence here that I want you to see, and we're going to pull out of his life some potential painful pits that you have resided in yourself, and it created some turmoil within you that you have carried with you throughout your lifetime because you didn't really understand where it originated from or really what to do with all of this that's happening inside of you. And so it says in chapter 37, this is the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, Jacob lived in the land, his father had stayed in the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17. So this kid's a teenager, right? And uh, he's got a lot of brothers, like 10 of them. <laughs> so he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, in which is, these are, are handmaidens uh, of his wives, and sons of Zilpah, and the father's wives. And he, he brought, brought their father a bad report about them. So here we go. This kid's out of the gate, a tattletale, <laughs> telling on his older brothers. That is not the way to make friends and influence people. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. All right, how many of you would admit here today that you're the favorite child in your family, right? Yeah. How'd that go over with your siblings? Not well. So not only is he a tattletale, he's the favorite son of Joseph, and Joseph, um, and he's the favorite son of Israel, and Israel doesn't even make any bones about it, right? So here's what he does. Because he had been born to him in his old age, he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. Not for anybody else, but for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, and I want you to circle this because you're going to see this over and over again, they hated him. They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. That's a lot of hatred coming. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves, grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around me, and you bowed down to it. And so I was like, okay, guys, uh, yeah, so like I'm going to be the leader, and you all are going to bow down before me, and it's going to be great, right? So his brother said to him, do you, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they, here we go again. They hated him all the more. Because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told his brothers. Now, you would have thought he'd learned the first time, but no. Listen, he says, I had another dream. This time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers now were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So then, long story short, 
Uh, his brothers are all out tending their sheep, their, their flocks, and um, Israel sends Joseph out to check on them, tattletale, right? So here's what it says down in verse 17. He finds out they moved the flocks to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's just kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we will see what comes of his dreams. Well, Reuben, the older brother, heard this, and he tried to rescue him from their hands, but let's not take his life. Uh, Don't shed any blood. Just throw him in the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them. And so when Joseph came, his brother stripped him of his robe, his rich ornamented robe that he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And the cistern was empty and had no water in it. And then when they saw a caravan of Ishlamites coming from Gilead, their camels were loaded with spices, balm, myrrh, and all these things. They're heading to Egypt. And so Judah says to his brothers, come, let us sell him to the Ishlamites and not lay our hands on him. And so when the Midianite merchants came to his brothers, by his brother, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishlamites, and they took him to Egypt. That is a bad start to a day, right? You get sold off to a foreign land. There are five things that I see in Joseph's life that are pits, potential pits in his life as well as in yours. And this is really the underlying root causes behind much of the emotional trauma that you deal with day in and day out. But here's the problem. We don't want to deal with those issues, so we stuff them, we repress them, we suppress them down, we blame, we shift, we do everything else, but take responsibility for what we're going to do with what has happened to us in the past. The end result is never good. And so I want to challenge us to look at these potential pits in your life and then what is the first step that we need to take in order to experience healing or relief from our painful past? So here's the first one is personality. God created you with a personality. He, he, the Bible says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. So some of you personality-wise, you are introverts, Right? So like being around strange people, like being here today, especially if you don't know hardly anyone, it's, it's emotionally draining to you. You don't like to be around like strange people. And look around, we are strange. Some of you are extroverts, man, you love being around people and it just energizes you. Some of you are somewhere in between. Now this can create all kinds of problems in your life. Let's say you're a child growing up, you're an extreme introvert, you go to school, you're, you're not the one who's going to like jump out there and try to make friends on your own. You're going to be the one who sits back and waits for somebody to come to you. And you can get away with that pretty much in elementary school. But when you get into junior high, high school, you know what people think? You're stuck up. You don't, you, you're just a goody two-shoes. You, don't really, you just think you're all that. And, and, and so people misrepresent you, talk about you, make fun of you, and that can create a lot of hurt, right? You experience rejection from others. It's based purely on your personality. That's just the way you are created. Some of you are the extroverts. You know, you're like what I call sanguines. You're like the parties waiting to happen. And you, you love, 
So what, what would happen if every single one of us in this room had a sanguine personality? We're just, you know, the party waiting to happen. It's just going to be a good time. We're gonna, we would never get anything done, but we'd have a lot of fun, right? Sanguines don't get anything done. They just, they just, it's just got to be fun, right? So God has given unique personalities to people. Some of you are like the lions. You're the leaders, right? But the thing about leaders is you're so headstrong in leading that you may hurt people's feelings along the way, but you really don't care because you're just there to get the job done. And some of you are like the golden retrievers, man. You wear your emotions on your sleeve. And if somebody unintentionally says the wrong thing to you that taps back into a hurt that er happened early in your life, all of a sudden, you feel those, that pain all over again. And then your thought is, well, they're just attacking me. They're just out to get me. Do you see how personality can play a role? And so here is um, Joseph. He has this personality that God has given to him, but his brothers don't like that personality. God's raising him up to be a leader, right? And as a leader, he's so excited about sharing his dream with his brothers. They could care less. They hate the guy. They hate the kid because, you know, he's the father's favorite, and, but this is the way God has, has created him. I have two daughters. They both have personalities as different as night and day. Probably you have the same thing among your siblings, the people that you grew up with. I'm simply saying that sometimes early on in life, you get into trouble and difficulty, and you experience painful events because of your personality type. By nature, I'm an, I'm an introvert. I was a very introverted kid, and so I just wasn't the one who's just going to, like, jump out there and, and initiate and those kinds of things. As a result of that, a part of the reason why I was bullied in school is because of my introvert personality and given my size, okay? When you're short, you're little, especially little for your age, and then, you know, you're just the brunt of everybody's jokes. I wasn't going to fight back. I wasn't going to, you know, say, well, you know, and just, like, get into this verbal exchange with people. I would just take it all in, stuff it all down, walk home, head held low, and just do my thing. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I, I grew up in a household with four sisters and no brothers. That is um, extremely difficult in and of itself, right? So we grew up in a home, four sisters, just me, and one bathroom. You do the math. And so part of, the, of, of our personality is that it's outside of our control, right? We can tame our personality. We, we, we can push ourselves outside of our comfort zones, but by and large, that personality is set. And so Joseph is a dreamer. That wasn't something he created. It, the dream isn't even something he dreamt up. It's something God gave him. God was painting a picture of the future that one day God was going to raise him up as a leader to save his family from certain death because a famine was coming years down the road and he was preparing Joseph to be the leader that would help them through that process in their life. Here's the second thing is your physical body. Your physical body. Some of you... Out of the womb, you had a disease. Children are born with cancer all the time. Children are born with diabetes. Children are born with things like ADHD and all those other things, uh, labels that we put on kids. 
I mean, think about growing up in elementary school. You're the one you sat there and just begged and begged in your mind that the teacher would not call on you because you knew you didn't know the answer and you were going to be embarrassed about trying to give the answer. And so that was just a very difficult, traumatizing period in your life. There are people who, who have physical limitations, who have mental limitations. Um, I know that my sister, my sister, my oldest sister, all of her life struggled with her weight. All of her life. And I remember the relentless teasing. I remember the relentless comments that were made to her and how that made her feel and how that traumatized her. And I had a cousin who lived next door to us and, and uh, one of the daughters, Amy, is very mentally challenged. And, and I remember on the schoolyard how kids were just ruthless to her, even as an adult. Uh, you know, she had enough capacity. She can't live on her own, but she had enough capacity to be able to work and would try working at like, you know, a fast food restaurant, just cleaning up tables and stuff. And the comments that people would make to her and just that relentless hurt and that pain, and she'd just come home and in tears. And maybe that was a part of your your um, growing up, I don't know. Number three is childhood traumas. I don't know what kind of traumas you may have experienced as a child, but they may have been very deep. All right, so the potential is there. In our society, there, there is 75% uh, in this room have probably suffered some kind of childhood trauma. You didn't get to pick your mom and dad. And some of you may have gotten great mothers and fathers some of you, your moms and dads were disasters, right? I grew up with a lot of kids whose parents were alcoholics. They were ashamed to let anybody at their house. They were ashamed of their parents' actions. In fact, right next door to us, for many years, there was a family, a husband, a wife, and three sons. He was an alcoholic. And you never knew what you were going to get. He could be the nicest person on planet Earth one minute, and the next minute he may launch off into a tirade. Because not only was he an alcoholic, he was an angry alcoholic. And I, I would watch him you know, hit his sons and beat on them and all these tr very traumatic things that they had to experience in life. This went on for years until finally one day he calls his family out onto the back porch and there in the backyard he hangs himself right in front of his family. That's childhood trauma. How do you think those kids are going to cope with all of those emotions that are going on inside of them growing up in an atmosphere like that? And so in 20, you know, of the 26 most prosperous nations in the world, the United States has the highest rate of violence, murder, and suicide among children right now. Children are growing up in horrific conditions Many grandparents are now raising their grandchildren because of the drug addiction that's happening in our society. I've sat on the opioid uh, council for the last year and a half here in this area and just listening to the story after story after story of how, you know, kids get hooked on drugs and, and they have children and then all of a sudden they can't care for those children. Now the grandparents are caring for those children. And so this is just an ongoing thing for all of us. I grew up uh, in a fatherless home. So for me, that was a traumatic experience. When I was young, my father left, and uh, he just abandoned us and, and had no idea where he went. All I knew is my mother's left to raise five kids on her own. 
And so that was very traumatic to me, and it, it elicited emotions. I felt lonely. I felt abandoned. I felt anger. Uh, anger just evolved into bitterness and bitterness into resentment. And I, I just, you know, like I hated the world at that moment in time. I just, it was just a, such an emotional turmoil of trying to deal with those things. And so you, you try to navigate as best you can as a kid. But every time I played in a sporting event and everybody else's dads were out there watching them, I have no father out there watching me in my sporting event. And so I look for, like most kids, I look for coping mechanisms, right? So I look for ways to deal with my pain. And as I've already shared, my my preferred method was alcohol, it was drugs, it's whatever could deaden the pain in my life. Today, 81% of men and women have been sexually abused as children, 72% physically abused, 97% emotionally abused. There is all kinds of abuse that is happening in our society that we've tried to cover up and negate and act like it is not happening, but it is happening. And so now we have a society of the walking wounded who have no idea what to do with all of this emotional turmoil that's happening in their lives. And so you try to navigate as best you can. Number four are relationships. Some of you may have been raised in a dysfunctional home. I think that um, Joseph was in a bit of a dysfunctional home. You know, Israel not only was showing him favoritism, um, but he was making it blatant in front of everybody. And again, I don't know what relationships you had as a child growing up. It might be that growing up, you could never please your dad. You could never please your mother, no matter how much you did, what you did, how well you did. In fact, even as an adult, you're still trying to please your father or your mother because the relational uh, bonding broke down somewhere during, during the course of your lifetime. Maybe you had a great coach or maybe you had a great influencer in your life that helped you navigate in those areas of your life. And so um, relationships can get real dicey. Number five is we live in, a, in an addictive society. We just live in an addictive society. Um, the average age for the first sighting of porn is, is age, used to be age 11. Now to the internet, it's down to like age 8. That is an epidemic in our country right now. 65 to 70% of men are addicted. Women are not much lower in percentages. And so we live in this addicted society trying to deal with things. And so there are 50 new adult sites that are appearing on the web every single day. Movies, TVs, books, you name it, it's laced with it. It's a problem. So why are people turning to it? Because we're looking for a way to squelch the pain, to deaden ourselves so that we just don't have to feel it anymore. And it's wrecking us as a society. And maybe for you here this morning personally. When you look at Joseph, his personality, he's a dreamer. His physical body, look, he's the youngest. He can't fight off his brothers. He can't keep them from overpowering him and throwing him into this cistern. Um, his childhood, he has a dad, dad who openly favors him. And relationally, you know, he's just, he's got a lot of bad relationships, especially with his own siblings. But here's what I want you to see. Every single one of those in his life up to that point was outside his control. 
He didn't get to choose the kind of personality he was given. God did that. He didn't get to choose the kind of body that he received. God gave him that body. He didn't get to choose his mom and dad or whatever favoritism might be going on inside the family structure. That was outside of his control. He had no you know, ability to overcome whatever's going on in society around him, that he could be one day sold off into slavery. He had no control over any of that stuff. But all of it brought a great deal of hurt and pain deep within his life. And so it is for you. God sees what you've gone through. He knows what has happened. Now here's our first response when things like this, I don't know what your childhood was like. I don't know what your, you know, growing up years were like. I don't know what kind of pain that you're carrying around, although I can assume most of you are carrying around a boatload of pain. Here's our first response, especially when it happens to things outside of our control. It is anger. You just get angry. I'm angry over the fact that, you know, I'm a diabetic. I'm angry over the fact uh, that I'm left-handed and the world's right-handed, right? So you can get angry over the littlest things, the most minute things, uh, and anger turned inward becomes depression. And so in my personality, because I was an introvert, you know, again, I was teased, I was bullied, uh, couldn't make the basketball team, right, because of my height, right? So I, I got this physical stature. I'm just not like a, a basketball player. But I, I tried out in junior high. I could shoot the eyes out of the hoop, man. I mean, I was making shots from all over the place. But when push came to shove, they said, listen, you didn't make the team, but we'll tell you what we'll let you do. You get to be the trainer. That's code for you ain't, you're not worth anything, right? They give you a little box with some adhesive tape in it. Like, I know what to do if somebody sprains their ankle. So maybe that happened to you. I don't know what your, your childhood was like. Maybe what, what are your childhood traumas? Maybe you just never got to be a kid. It's one of the things that, that I detested growing up. It's like I never got to be a real child. You know what was always said to me? Well, now you're the, you're the only boy, so you're the man of the family. I don't want to be the man of the family. I just don't want to be a kid. And so those responsibilities were put on my shoulders, and, and it caused me to become angry. Maybe, maybe for you, when you were young, a parent died. And, and, and at a very vulnerable time in your life, your mom or your dad died. And, and so there's just like this anger welling up inside of you and say, like, God, why, why would you allow this to happen? Why now? I, I need my mom. I need my dad. I, it's a critical time in my life. Why are you allowing this to happen in your relationships? I don't know. Maybe you were in abusive relationships. Maybe somebody that you dated for a long time and you got engaged to, they said, you know what? They called it off at the last minute. And you're still reeling from that rejection that you received from somebody you thought you would spend the rest of your life with. So we want to avoid the pain. And the way that we avoid the pain is we self-medicate. Now, there's a lot of ways you can self-medicate. You can do it through eating. You can become an exercise guru. Uh, you can do it through television, hobbies, sports events. I don't care. There's a thousand and one ways you can try to deaden the pain. But here's what God wants to do. God wants to heal those painful events in your life so that you can be all that he has created you to be. Because as long as those painful events remain hidden, you are only as sick as your secrets 
And the only thing God cannot heal is what you choose to remain hidden. And the reason why God wants to do this is because he wants you to be a better version of you. Do you know what I come to understand? You can't harbor anger and bitterness and resentment emotionally and compartmentalize my life where, okay, I'm only going to be angry and bitter at my dad for leaving, but I'm not going to be angry and bitter at anybody else in my life. doesn't work that way. Everybody becomes the recipient of that anger and that bitterness and what's happening inside of you, the emotional turmoil that's, that's reeling inside of your body and inside of your mind because your mind begins to believe lies about yourself. And the lies that I begin to build in my thought process as well as, well, nobody likes me, nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, it, it never works for me, nothing ever seems to go right, I mean, just on and on, and you build that, that mental grid system, and so now everything has to filter through that grid system. So if somebody comes up to you and honestly says, you know what, that's a beautiful dress you're wearing today, you look so lovely. By the time it gets through your grid system, you're thinking, well, what do they want from me? Why did they say that? They don't really like it, do they? You know, and it gets turned to the negative because we all tend to move towards the negative in life. And so James chapter 1 says this. God says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you fall into various trials, various pits. Because if you allow God to take those pit experiences and transform them. He says, if you'll persevere through that process, that on the other side, he will make you mature and complete. In other words, he will take the most painful events in your life and turn them around and enable you to become the most positive, productive person you possibly can. In other words, he's going to build off those things, not only to bring healing in your soul, But everything that you learn from that, everything you take away from that, God can use it as a platform to help others. And so the platform of my ministry is to help people find forgiveness and freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. Because I believe that just as God healed me of all of my emotions, and I'm still working on stuff. This is not like, uh, you know, like take a pill and it's one and done. It's not like you just pray a prayer and poof, it's all gone. No, We have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. Am I going to go through the process of allowing God's Holy Spirit to bring healing back into my life so that my family now is no longer the recipient of my outbursts of rage? My my family is now the recipient of a man who is walking in the fullness of the Spirit, who is displaying the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control, rather than the old Greg who was filled with anger and jealousy and envy and bitterness, and, and the list would go on and on. And so this is what God wants for all of us. And so the first step in climbing out of your pit is you've got to make a choice, and that choice is simply this. I've got to take responsibility for my life. I had no control over what was done to me, but I have full control as to how I allow that to be leveraged in my life. And so do you. But we often talk ourselves out of this. We say, well, it's just fine. It's no big deal. So what if somebody hurt my, you know, I got hurt from my childhood. I've got pain from my parents. I got pain from my divorce or my business that failed. Uh, So what? It doesn't matter. It does matter. Because you're living with it. But it's not contained to you. 
everybody else has to live with it too. And it comes out in a lot of different ways. And so oftentimes people say, well, you know, that's just the way he is, you know, just, that's just the way he does once in a while. You know, he just like explodes all over everybody. That's just, you know, Greg or that's just whoever. Or we say, well, it's not my fault. You know, this is something that somebody did to me. Yeah, but you're the one carrying the emotions. You're the one feeling the emotions. You're the one who's responsible for the emotions. And so Jesus one time said, because here's what we do when we carry hurt and anger, is that we project that on others. See, Jesus put it this way. I, go, I walk around and uh, I get in my car. I'm heading to work. Somebody pulls out in front of me. Now, if, I, if on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm already, tanked up, I'm already tagged up here at 9 all the time because I'm carrying all these anger and bitterness of emotions, it don't take so long, much for somebody to send me to the top, right? And so that can ruin your entire day, right? You just like explode all over this person, and you're calling them all kinds of names, and you're making judgments about, you know, their character. And so Jesus put it this way. Hey, before you go taking that speck out of your brother's eye, you might want to get the log out of your own. In other words, Greg, you have no capacity to help anyone else with their emotional trauma until first you deal with yourself. See, when God began to alleviate me from the anger issues, now all of a sudden I begin to change, right? That's what the Bible calls transformation. It is the changing of my life, the changing of your life. Because you are dealing with those events in your life and you're allowing God to bring healing because if you don't, those things are always going to come to the surface. And so some of the choices that we have to make is to pay attention to your emotional pain. For example, somebody comes in to work tomorrow and asks you a question about something that happened during your childhood and then all of a sudden you just burst out into tears and like all these emotions start flooding you. That is a great sign that probably there's a root back there that has never been dealt with. Or you're trying to deal with it, but you're trying to deal with it in unhealthy ways. So if you're not careful, you can become self-centered about this, where people you know, spend their entire lives trying to dissect every aspect of their lives. That's not what the Bible is teaching. But what the Bible does say to us and what Joseph bears out to us is, listen, we all carry a lot of pain emotional pain that drives every aspect of our lives. And so what God wants to do is God wants to heal it. He wants to take you through a process where the Holy Spirit kind of gets you into the root cause. This is where it began. These are the lies that you believed at that moment in your life that now have become a, a part of your thought processes. And watch this. Here are the inner vows that you made. For example, I said to myself, well, you know what? Ain't nobody ever going to hurt me like this again. Nobody's ever going to hurt me like my dad hurt me. So you know what I did? I erected walls, emotional walls. Ain't nobody coming over these walls. I'll let you get so close and only so close because then I'm, I'm never going to feel that kind of pain again. Those are inner vows. Or you might have inner vows. I'm, I'm never going to be like my parents I will never be like my mother. I'll never be like my father. Or I will never be out of control again. You know what drives that? Fear. 
You ever been around a real controlling person, driven by fear? They try to control everything and everyone. And if you have to live with somebody like that, I pity you. You know what it's like where they control every aspect of your life and then it's never good enough. You never measure up. Your mother told you to go and dust. You went and dusted to the best of your ability. She followed in right behind you, redoing everything you did. Why? Because she's a control freak. Your dad said to you, hey, go out and cut the grass. You get out there at the lawnmower. He doesn't like the way you're cutting it. He, doesn't, he wants it lines this way, not this way. Or he doesn't want squares like this. You know, it's, just, it's never good enough. And so these are the things that we deal with as hum, human beings day in and day out. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to come on a journey with us. So this is where we go to John chapter 11. Because as I close out, let's tie this back to the resurrection. This is why we're here. It's Easter Sunday. And so there was an incident in which Jesus... He's getting towards the end of his ministry here on earth, and he's going to be crucified for the sins of humanity. And he had some friends, Mary, Martha, and, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And Jesus and his disciples are in another city, and the word is sent to him, hey, your friend Lazarus is, is dying. We need you to come now. You know what Jesus did in response? Delayed for four days. This is his donor base. You think they were really pleased about that? And so then when he comes into town, Lazarus has died. He's in a tomb. And Mary and Martha, as you would quite expect, they're, they, are, they are upset. These are his sisters, and, and they're just, you can almost hear, there's, there's almost like they were livid over the fact that Jesus did not show up on time. And so here's what Martha says to Jesus, and Mary will say the same thing. Chapter 11 of John, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? You ever said that, God? God, if you'd been here, I'd never been raped as a child. God, if you'd been here, I would have never been beaten and abused. God, if you were really here, I would have never, and you can fill in the blank, and whatever trauma you've experienced in your lifetime. God, if you really cared, if you really loved me, if you really believed in me, if you really are all you say that you are, you should have been here and healed my broken heart. God, where were you when my mortgage payment was due and I didn't have the money and I was all stressed out and I'm asking you to help me out and nothing seems to come. In the same breath, that Martha questions honestly about Jesus is willing to show up when, he needed, when she needed him. Notice what she says in verse 22. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Because even God can raise a dead man back to life. Even now, God can step into your loneliness and be your comforter. Even now, God can step into your life, your confusion, and be your peace. Even now, God can step into your family and put all the broken pieces back together again because God specializes in resurrections. He specializes in taking things that were once dead and bringing them back to life again. 
When I was a young teenager contemplating suicide, as far as I was concerned, everything inside of me had died. It was dead. There's no more hope. There's no more future. There is no more anything that would cause me to want to rise up off my bed and just do life until Jesus came, until Jesus showed up and took a dead body, a dead spirit, a dead soul, and breathed life back into it. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do here. Even after all the mistakes you have made, even after your heart has grown cold and callous toward the things of God, remember, when God shows up, something that died in you, the dream, the hope, the ambition, whatever it might be, he has the ability to resurrect it. And listen, when he doesn't show up, you, don't, you think he's just like never going to show up. No, sometimes he delays showing up because he wants you to come to know him more than what he has to give. So I think that's why he delayed four days and assured that Lazarus died. Because otherwise, they would have never known him as the resurrection and the life. Because this is exactly what Jesus said he was going to be then. Martha answered, I know he will rise again, the resurrection of the last days. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, up to this point, they've known Jesus as healer. They've known him to take crooked limbs and straighten them out, to give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. But they've never seen this resurrection Christ. Not in this way. And so here's Mary and Martha, and Jesus says, listen, what you desire, what you need, I'm, I'm going to bring it, but I'm going to bring it in my timing. And so Jesus did this miracle to foreshadow the ultimate miracle that he too himself would one day rise up out of the grave, which is what Easter is all about. And so that same power, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that God can bring from heaven down to earth, even in your life and in your lifetime, in order for you to experience a resurrection in your own life. And so I was dead in my sins as a teenager when Jesus came into my life because I invited him there and I surrendered my life over to him. He took my dead spirit and breathed into it the breath of life. And so the Bible says every human being who comes into the world comes into the world spiritually dead, in need of resurrection, in need of new life, and that's exactly what Jesus offers. But he does not stop there. He Listen, when I got saved, guess what I drug into that new relationship? All of my hurt, all of my trauma, all of my past, all of the things that I, I mean, I had a mouth of a sailor. I, I had so much that needed to be fixed inside of me. And so God then began the process of making me a new creation in Christ, just as he will do for you. And so Jesus says, hey, where is Lazarus? And they take him to him. But here's what they say is, listen, Jesus, you don't want to open that grave because he's been in there for four days, man, and it stinks. Do you want to know? Sometimes we are fearful of dealing with our emotional trauma because we know that when we open that can up, it's going to smell and it's going to, be, it's, it's going to stench. And so it's just easier to keep it closed up. It's just easier to act like it never happened or to act like it doesn't bother me anymore or to act like, you know, somehow, some way, time is going to heal all of that when it just doesn't happen. If you want to receive healing from God, then you must 
Jesus said as he came to Lazarus' tomb, you got to roll away the stone. That you, that's your choice. That's what you have to do. You've got to roll away the stone, let the Holy Spirit peer inside where all the hurt and trauma resides. And then he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out of that tomb, but he's still all you know, wrapped up in his grave clothing. And then they, Jesus said to them, hey, take off the clothing. This is what the Bible talks about when Paul says, take off the old and put on the new. God wants to bring healing in the depths of your being, in the core of who you are. He has the capability. He has the power. But you must personally make the choice and take responsibility for your life, even though these things may have been way outside of your control, because you do not want to allow your past to keep you chained to the past. You don't want to allow those open wounds of hurt to remain open. You want God to heal them so that he can make the best version of you that you can possibly be, and it all begins with a decision. And that decision is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? God wants to breathe resurrection life into you. He wants to heal your wounded past. He wants to heal all that is keeping you chained to the very individual or individuals who have created so much pain in your life. God wants to set you free and begin a transformation process that will enable you to operate as a mother, as a father, as a husband, a wife, an employee, employer, whatever, you're, whatever you, you are in life, God wants you to be able to operate at maximum capacity to stop chasing after broken cisterns that will never give you what you're looking for. And when you get that one, you move to the next one, and you move to the next one, and you move to the next one. Satisfaction, healing comes only through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads together. And so if, if the desire of your heart this morning is maybe to open up your life to Christ. I'm just, I'm just asking you, you know, do you want to stay the same? you want to just keep dealing with the same issues over and over and having the fallout of those same issues? Just, it's like being a hamster in a wheel. Or do you want to get out of the wheel? God wants you out of the wheel. He loves you. He died for you. He died so that you could be forgiven. He died so that you could be set free from the painful past so that you can relieve yourself of the hurt and the pain that has been directing and governing your life. And so maybe you pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, thank you for coming to me today and speaking. Thank you for the circumstances that have come and broken my heart and crushed my dreams to bring me to this place in my life of knowing that I need you and so this morning, I'm placing my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ who died for me and rose again. I'm asking you to cleanse me and to heal me and to raise me to new life. To speak the word, your word to me and to call my name and to change me and make me new. May you raise me up with your resurrection power high above my circumstances, my failures, and my sin. Raise me higher by your power and mercy and love. I'm praying and asking these things 
Oh God, I'm making the choice today to receive Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. For it's in his name I pray and ask these things. Amen. And there's a couple things before we close out. Um, have you prayed that prayer and, and you meant it? And it's like, you know, I'm, re- I'm, I'm just reaching out to Jesus. A couple things you can do. We're going to stand and sing. If, you, you, if you'd like to come to the front and I'd love to pray with you, um, that's fine. I'd love to do that. Some of you, that's like, if you're like me, the introvert, ain't no way I'm coming forward. Well, just indicate it on your connection card, just in that prayer box to say, you know what? I prayed that prayer. Would you just pray for me? If you just begin this brand new relationship with Christ, and it's like anything else, um, you know, that's brand new, you start learning things. Right, So I started going to church, learning about Christ, learning about this relationship, this walk. God's been working on my life for 40-some years, and I'm not there yet. There's still baggage that I'm still trying to deal with. But listen, I'm a whole lot different now than I was 40 years ago, a whole lot different. And what God has done for me, I know he can do for you. And it's never too late to jump into the process. And so uh, let me encourage you. Next week, we're going to start talking about what is the process. What are the steps that I need to take in order to relieve myself from my painful past? And I hope you'll be here and bring a friend. So let's stand together as we close out. If you'd like to come and pray, we encourage people. If you just like to come to the front and pray, just lay it at the altar for, for the Lord and uh, just between you and Him. Um, sometimes that's the first step in healing is that you just lay it out and say, you know what, Lord? Mm, yeah, I tried. It just didn't work too well. I'm telling you, God loves you. He wants you to succeed. But it's not a journey that you're going to take alone, okay? You're going to need some people around you to help you with this process. And we would love to help you as you take that first step.
Thank you for being here with us in this time of worship. Hey, before you leave, um, man, slap somebody a high five, introduce yourself, and uh, we are so grateful you're here worshiping with us. We look forward to seeing you next week. So have a wonderful day with your family this Easter holiday.